Hello, everybody. It's uh, Christian Thwaites of Brian Janikowski. Um, maybe I could just get a sign from our, our host here that, that I'm live at this point. I hope I am. Um, and welcome. Yes, there we go. Thank you very much. Um, and good to have everybody on the recording again from a, a month on. Um, so it's amazing how uh, quickly things move in this environment. I mean, back when we first discussed this in April, we had worldwide about 1.8 million cases of COVID and about 120,000 uh, fatalities. And we thought that was um, you know, quickly going to be the peak um, and that we would soon get our arms around this. Uh, as of yesterday, these are all WHO statistics, which tend to be on the low side. Um, the caseload is about 12.4 million and the fatality load is about 560,000. Um, and the U.S. is steadily running about 23-25% of the world's total, even though um, it's about, the U.S. is about 5% of the world population. I don't want to go into, you know, what states got it right and what didn't and, they, and more of the um, issues. But, uh, you know, we're still living with it and it continues to be a major issue on the economy. So what we're going to try and ask today is, um, you know, things were good in the second quarter from an investment perspective, but uh, you know, but how are we how are we doing and what's going to happen next? So maybe we can have our first slide. Um, nice picture of Muir Woods there, thank you. <laughs> um, first of all, the um, oh, I would also mention that um, while I'm talking, feel free to, uh, there'll, there'll be questions, uh, an opportunity for questions to come up and happy to take those, uh, um, you know, as, as we as we finish up. So uh, here we are in July, um, just a little three weeks into the third quarter of the year. Um, the labor market is going to be very slow to recover. That's one of the important takeaways today, that there is absolutely no V-shape in the labor market. We've had 51 million claims. I'll come on to that in a minute. Uh, we've got 32 million people on unemployment and other supplemental benefits. That's even before you get to things like SNAP programs. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's been huge dislocation, both in the number of people working and the number of people who've voluntarily taken themselves out of the labor market for various reasons. So the labor market is, is going to be under some pressure for quite a long time. Look, we're in a second wave, there's no doubt about it. Um, everything I think depends on uh, the virus and its trans transitions and um, ultimately what kind of uh, you know, cure comes down the line. Otherwise, I think unless there is some sort of you know, herd immunity or or uh, or vaccination. We'll be dealing with versions of the of the rolling clothing. Um, everything depends on the Fed. They've certainly come up well, and everything depends on the stimulus, and that's about to be tested. There have been some recent improvements in the economy. We'll touch on some. They are real, uh, but they're very slow, and um, that you know this this will take a long time to recover back, and not, probably not back until 2021. There's very little chance that unemployment's gonna fall below 10% this year. I think it's understated. I've written about this several times in the blog. Um, it's around about 11% as the numbers to just over two weeks ago. Uh, but actually it's, it's much higher than that in terms of under unemployed and, and people who are miscategorizing themselves in the unemployment uh, surveys. So we're not going to see anything below 10%. Now remember that the Fed has a dual mandate to keep inflation low and to maximize employment. Uh, Today's CPI numbers show that the inflation is way below target and uh, they are not going to take their foot off the gas while uh, unemployment's anything uh, above uh, 10% and actually probably not until while it's above 5% and that's a long way out. I think the recovery in the risk assets, primarily the stock market is justified for some reason, for, 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 for reasons which are not really linked to the economy. But um, but we should. But I think they're going to kind of settle down, and we we'll think we'll see some rotation. And I'll explain what those are later on. Okay. First of all, let's just look at the first graph. This is what I was mentioning earlier. So these are the new case, cases globally. The next one, uh, Debbie, is um, this is what a you know a bending the curve looks like. These are uh, these are WHO statistics. We kind of compile them ourselves. I know there's tons of places where you can look this stuff up, but we try to keep. Um, you know, a consistent source of data. This is log scale. So you can see that they were sort of pushing seven, 8,000 uh, a day. This was when we all heard about the stress of which the healthcare system in Italy was under. Uh, and now it's about 200. So it's, uh, it's obviously some, that's, that's a good case uh, a curve lowering. We've seen others, other countries as well have done it uh, as well. 
Um, but Italy was one that you know got it got hit hard uh, early on. So that's what a bending curve looks like. Dan. Now let's look at the next one, um, and this is what a non-bending curve looks like. So um, we kind of went into lockdown right over on the left there when things started to spike very gradually, very very sharply from uh, middle of March through to uh, end of March, and then all of the very painful stories coming out of the northeast were during that. Um, sort of highly uh, escalating period. But there we are, we kind of kept it flat, flat, flat. And now you've got this tick up at the end, which really coincides with the openings of the states, which um, didn't really close a lot to begin with. And then other states like California, which did close and opened up and experiencing this, uh, this uptick. So uh, that's, that's where we are. Um, and as long as this uh, curve is shaped that way, um, we're going to have problems. And until it, um, until it starts bending down, um, I think there's going to be continued, you know, restraints on economic growth and, uh, you know, economic vitality. Next one is, um, this borrowed a slide from our friends at Pantheon Economics, but um, again, pretty available data. And you can see this, these are the states which, um, which got hit with the second wave. Uh, and it really coincides with the, uh, with the arrival of the uh, summer summer holidays and um and then more group activity and it kind of went for a while and then it, and it kind of began to spike up so these are just the kind of new cases per million so um you know you can see there that you know, some states have been hit you know worse than others i mean i think this is this is pretty well known at this point um but we're not seeing a tremendous amount of relief on on this side um and, and again i think while we continue to see these big numbers we're going to have problems getting back to where we were in January or February. Next slide. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the labor market. I've been writing about it a lot because it is just quite incredible just how badly damaged the labor market has been. Again, this is a, a log chart. What the COVID has done is kind of destroy all these long-term charts because things are just so, uh, have moved so fast and in, in such an extreme way. So, you know, over there, tucked on the left-hand side, you know, for most of the last three or four years, we would fuss about whether claims were 200,000, uh, 210,000, or 230,000, and get excited if they moved up to 240,000. And obviously, that um, that all went away very, very quickly. The cumulative um, uh, number of job losses here, as I mentioned, is just over 50 million. Um, I would emphasize that just because people have filed for a claim doesn't mean that they remain unemployed. Uh, some will uh, find other jobs um, or be re-employed if they've been furloughed. Um, but these are the people who at one point or another over the last uh, three or four months um, said that they lost a job and subsequently filed with their state unemployment um, offices for uh, unemployment benefits. Doesn't also mean that they'll necessarily get benefits. But you can see here that uh, while this isn't, this is the number of people who've lost a job, but it's not the net number, just one side of it. Uh, but it's it's pretty incredible to see those numbers, and uh, what we've seen is is flattening out from that um, round about the uh, beginning of June, where it hit 1.5 million, and it, the the rate of decrease has slowed considerably. Um, and as long as we're above 1 million, you know, new claims, and this is this is weekly, uh, we're going to continue to have um, some some serious uh, problems on the demand side. Uh, and in the labor market generally. So this is not, this is not sloping down in the way um, a lot of people, including ourselves, would have expected back in April. We would have thought we'd be down to well below a million at this point, but that doesn't look like it's the case. And there's very little evidence from other surveys, employer surveys, the ISMs, uh, the um, NHIB, this, the National Association of Small Businesses, Independent Businesses, all these guys, when they're asked what your employment intentions, uh, you know, now, three months from now, six months to now, invariably say, uh, you know, none or they're actually contracting. So, so we just don't see a heck of a lot of um, uptick on the, on the claim side. The, the one thing that might make it tick down, but it's for totally the wrong reasons, is that uh, people exhaust their claims or, the, you know, the supplemental benefits are taken away and people just don't bother to file for claims in the first place, which is actually a problem that we had uh, a year or so ago. But anyway, that's that's certainly not a good sign. Let's keep going on this on the labor market. Um, <clears throat> moving a little bit on to the Fed 
this is their kind of weekly economic index of uh, it compiles a number of different financial metrics. And obviously the, the important thing here is not all the different things that it tries to capture, but I think it tries to sort of look at, you know, all the different levels of, um, of the economy, manufacturing, servicing, export related, um, you know, sole proprietors and everything else. Um, took a deep, deep plunge and now it's, uh, now it's kind of got that little bit of a V and keep an eye on that little hook at the end there because you're gonna see more of that. You know, this, the optimists are talking about a V, we hear a lot of that out of the White House, it's just patently not there uh, unless, unless you have very strange calligraphy. But um, so you can see that the, it has bounced back quite sharply but it's probably not even a third or, or a quarter of where it needs to be. Um, so let's keep going on that side. Um, the Fed, as I mentioned, is a sort of, you know, un, not unheralded, but the undisputed, um, you know, hero of this because they moved incredibly quickly, quickly. We talked about this several times before. They pulled out all of the playbook, which they had from 2008, 2009, which took them, you know, the best part of 18 months to two years to deploy and used it in about three weeks. And they've been talking the same book, uh, that, you know, unlike then where we had a number of uh, Fed governors who took it upon themselves to say things completely differently from what people um, <coughs> like, um, or what Bernanke most importantly was saying and, and sort of talk their own book. Now they're all talking off the same page. Uh, and so there's a tremendous amount of commitment on what they're doing. Um, you can see that the Fed balance sheet just was sort of in general slowdown, um, running off, and then boom, up it goes really quickly uh, to a level of about you know two trillion dollars. And this is mostly uh, Treasury and mortgage-backed securities buying. They've been on the line to buy other assets. They've had foreign exchange swaps. They've had credit lines. They've backed money markets. They've uh, they're in corporate bonds, which we might may get around to talking about today. Uh, but really, this is the, the, the treasury and the mortgage market at, at work. You can see, actually, it's, um, it's tailed off a little bit at the top there, at the rate of increase. And that's partly because it's doing their job. But it's also because some, I know some of the, um, uh, some of the foreign exchange credit lines matured. They weren't, didn't need to be renewed. And so uh, they came off the balance sheet, um, which is good, because that meant that there was not a dollar um, shortage globally. Um, but anyway, the Fed is, is standing there and, um, and, and have built up the, uh, the, the assets very considerably. If you kind of go back to the peak of 2008, 2009, I think the, uh, the balance sheet was about $4 trillion. So it's, it's, it's up even from those record levels. But this is a good sign. There's nothing bad or mysterious or weird or inflationary about this. This is exactly what the Fed you know, needs to do and what we needed, the, needed them to do in response to the... Um, uh, the, the crisis. And you can see it in the next slide. This is what's happened. Um, <clears throat> inflation, uh, th these are the 30 year bond, the uh, two year bond down there at 16 basis points and the 10 year at about 63 basis points, about what it is today, actually. So the chart might be a day old. Um, but obviously they've, they've moved incredibly quickly to push uh, rates down. Um, and you get 15, you get 12 basis points for 30, 90 day paper, three month bills, and you get 16 basis points for investing for another four years and nine months. So, you know, these are very, very low rates uh, and you go all the way out to 10 and you're at 63 basis points. Um, so I think this, you know, th these, these levels are going to stay like this for a very long time. The Fed will ensure they will. They've communicated that they can buy along the yield curve to make that happen. I think if there's any spike in, in, in rates, and I, I can't for the life of me really think of a plausible scenario where you'd see a, a spike in rates. <clears throat> um, but if there was for technical reasons or there was a weird inflation print or suddenly the economy got going really quickly, I think that they would you know, push them back down very, very quickly. So this is the kind of world we're living in, you know, 63 basis point, 10 year rates, which is good. Um, it's certainly good for the government because they're obviously borrowing more at, at, uh, at incredibly low rates and, um, and usually good for the uh, corporate bond market because their spreads are based off this benchmark, the 63 basis point benchmark mostly. And so their borrowing costs have come down as well. But this is what we're looking at, uh, low rates for a very long time. Okay, next page. Often I'm asked about, you know, I like to look at long numbers, long 
term numbers um, and you know surely rates can't go into low surely they're going to go higher well this is a 30 year nearly 40 year chart i wouldn't want to bet against that that's that's yes it's it's a peak we were coming off the 70s inflation we had the volcker programs to really snuff out inflation it was very successful um but ever since then it's been you know coming down in in a very very steady state sometimes there's a little bit of a run-up but it never seems to last and i would be very very cagey about uh, betting against this um uh and can they go lower of course they can we've seen them uh in japan go lower we've seen them go to negative one for 10 years same with german bonds same with um with the uh, Swiss franc 10 year government, same with the Dutch, same with the Austrians, uh, you know, so they can all go lower. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't bet that they would, but I'd rather bet that they stayed low or went lower than, uh, than any kind of increase up to three, 4%. I mean, I think the inflationistas just have absolutely no leg to stand on when they talk about the expansion of the, of the, uh, of the balance federal, uh, of the federal reserve balance sheet. And there's going to be inflationary in some way. Um, not only have you got, um, the actual the economy running very differently right right now very difficult to get inflation to come through but look at that chart i mean just uh, you know there seems to be a, a you know a secular trend towards extremely low rates okay next chart i'm going to come back a little bit to the employment side again again these are log numbers um, on the right hand side you can see that um, we were looking at about 200,000 in claims I mentioned, you know, the last couple of years up until really since the GFC ended, we, we were looking at, uh, you know, occasional spikes of jobs going to three or 400,000. You can see there in beginning of 2018 when the corporate tax rate uh, dropped, but otherwise we'd settled into 200,000 new jobs uh, a month, which is, it's nothing great. It's about in line with population growth. So as more people, you know, exit the, workforce from the back end as a retiring um, baby boomer. There's more people coming in the front end as a result of uh, population increases. So 200,000, roughly what you needed to keep the, the employment rate steady. And then bang, we saw that huge uh, two big numbers, the, the, uh, the big one being the 22 million. So we've had two months of I don't know, whatever it is, just about uh, 3 million and 4 million. Again, it's a log one, so it's very, can be difficult to read. Um, but again, this is nothing like enough to reverse the job losses uh, that we've seen or the number of people in uh, unemployed. I think the most important number here is the 18%. That is roughly what I think the unemployment number is. I mean, I'm not making this up. This is, this is an official number. It's called the U6. And it measures people who are unemployed uh, as well as you know, what they call marginally attached. And they tend to be people who work part-time um, but but not but not for uh, not out of their own volition. They're they're part time because they can't find more more work to do, or uh, you know they they would like to be seeking more full time work. So that's probably the right number. You, know, you can get a higher number if you go to the number of people who are on benefits. But I think this is really what the underlying um, uh, uh, unemployment number is. And while you've got this number, you know, inflation is all but impossible in this, in, in this economy. It just simply, simply won't happen. So again, we keep on reinforcing this point about being in a low inflation era. Um, and the other point on this slide is just very quickly, the 5% jump in earnings at the bottom. That is totally a statistical sleight of hand. That is just, um, the, the, the job numbers have been very much crowded into uh, number one, uh, younger people. So if you know, in the sort of 18 to 25, especially, but also in the 25 to 35 cohort uh, and the lower paid. I mean, you just think of every hospitality, leisure, restaurant jobs, which are typically not paid uh, anywhere, anywhere near the uh, national average. They're, they've dropped out of that pool. So it's sort of, um, you know, rather artificially, increase the number of the and people who are left in the pool tend to be slightly to be higher paid. So it looks like, well, we're on a 5% wage increase. I can assure you that very, you know, very few workers, if any, have been, have been awarded a 5% um, pay increase. So there's the, everyone's looking at that number as going, yeah, it doesn't mean anything until you start getting a, a more balanced um, uh, look at the employment market. Um, and the next one, this is one that worries me because this is this is permanent job losses. This is where a company closes a plant, closes a branch, closes an office, uh, goes out of business, and uh, and and those uh, 
mean that those jobs are gone completely. Uh, if those jobs are gone completely in areas where it's difficult to get reemployed, then you've got things like the long-term unemployed numbers coming up. Now we're way off what it was in, uh, in 2010, thankfully. Um, so uh, that's, that's not, um, that's one thing to be, uh, to be grateful for, but you know, a lot of those jobs in 08, 09 were in things like construction and financial services around the mortgage business. Um, this, these ones are more, you know, possibly more widespread. And so you've really got to, um, got to, you know, look at this number as it, as it, as it spikes up as quickly as it has over there. But uh, yeah, when, it, when a, uh, the other thing, of course, that this does is it kind of separates a, a displaced worker from the labor pool. And that can be very bad news. Um, very difficult to kind of get reemployed. If you have to change profession. Okay, next one. Uh, so put all that together, um, we're about to see in two weeks that red number, which is the red, whatever it is, not blue anyway. I'm sorry, I'm colorblind. But uh, that that is the uh, GDP now forecast from the uh, from the Atlanta Fed. It's, it's pretty accurate. They kind of you know will try to forecast on a on a now basis um, um, what what GDP is going to do. So we know that we were down 5% in the first quarter and really we only had, you know, two and a half weeks of uh, close down out of the quarter. So uh, the one that's going to be reported, a first estimate around about 25th of July, I think it's going to show a pretty colossal number down about 35%. Now that's on an annualized basis. So it doesn't mean that, that, you know, we were producing a hundred last year uh, and we're going to be producing 65 now. Um, it, it works out at about a 10% decline, uh, but that's very, very significant. And then again, if you put this, you start putting that number up against historical numbers, you can't even get close to them, even in, even in, the, 19, uh, even in the 1930s. So um, that's what we're going to see. And I think we have to kind of brace ourselves for that because that might be, um, when it actually hits, there might be some details to it, which the market yet hasn't figured out. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Again, sort of on the theme of this, there is not a V going on here. This is the number of people um, who the size of the, of the labor force, which is the upper line. Uh, we saw a lot of people take themselves out of the labor force. You can see that the size of the labor force has declined gradually from is about 67% participation back in the late 90s. It's been declining ever since. And that's primarily because, uh, well, there <laughs> People take different views, and I think it's mainly because a lot of women exited the work workforce over after 2000. Um, you know, with um, with things like um, uh, daycare costs getting way too expensive, it meant that the, uh, the 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 marginal improvement in household income and going to work uh, shrunk a lot. So there was there's been labor female labor force participation has declined a lot. Uh, but anyway, then you can see over the right, it dropped, you know, huge amount, you know, 63 down to 60. Um, so that's the labor force. That's, that's not people necessarily, that's just people saying, I mean, I'm, I'm out of the labor force. I'm, I'm retiring or I'm not going to look for a while or you know, the answer to questions like, you know, are you looking for a job? And they said, no, they're not in the labor force. And so then the number of employed people then dropped, um, you know, enormously from about 65 down to 54. So this is not AV. And uh you know that's that's the issue here. We're not going to see a sharp increase in in this type of um, uh, you know deterioration, uh, d despite what uh, you know what claims may be to the contrary. Okay. Next one. Um, so this I want to show these because you know, we're all looking now. Actually, maybe it's a good push because you know often we look at economic data, which is you know maybe a month old from the. Bureau of Labor Statistics or the BEA or all these guys, ISM, but actually we're probably getting better at beginning, we'll be able to track real-time data through, uh, uh, you know, through sort of massive sort of data collection, not, not least, you know, things like smartphones and so on. And so uh, it's actually kind of forced a number of people to look at what's going on on a real-time basis. And some of these, these numbers just tell you indications of direction. They don't necessarily tell you magnitude or size or anything else like, but let's have a quick look at them. Um, actually, what I'll do is this was June and just go to the next one, Debbie. This is July. So let's just get current here. I was just going to show you that as he has continued to improve quite well. But on the left hand side, top left, you've got the TSA checkpoints. So, uh, you know, they obviously fell right off a cliff there from about two million a day to, um, gosh, I don't know who was traveling in early April, but, uh, you know, not very many people. Uh, but there you can see that it's it's recovered. It's It's a bit spiky just because you get 
some um, daily, day, you know, daily people travel more on some days a week than others. But uh, you can see that that's trending up nicely. The bottom left is uh, is dining now. That that this is just from open table, so it's only it's only businesses that take reservations. So it's not going to be the McDonald's and the um, drive-throughs and Dunkin' Donuts and uh, in and out burgers and all those places where we love to go. But uh, but you can see that their business just totally disappeared. Um, this is the percentage change year over year, and you know things went down a hundred percent, which means nothing happened at all. Um, it, it's slowly climbing back, but unfortunately, there you can see on the top right hand side that they you know begun to you know, come down again. So this is all part of this kind of second wave thing. Um, top right-hand side is flights track. This is global. So we've got, uh, you know, commercial flights, which is the lower line. So these are the FedEx and UPS and other guys whizzing around the world delivering stuff. Uh, that's got a nice upturn. And then the other top line is everybody. Uh, so it includes the passenger traffic. Now, this is against worldwide, but, uh, you know, that, that I think is a pretty good sign that things are, are moving as well. And then finally, we've got the hotel occupancy rates. And it's their... Um, it's 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 their change well it's the actual occupancy rate you know 100% occupancy every room is taken 0% no one's staying there at all and you can see the lines from prior years they're sort of running in the at this time of year they're running before the summer period they're running in about 65 to 70 period um you know right now they're about 45 but they're you know they again they're headed in the right direction so some of this current data is uh, is is quite appealing and i think this is part of what the stock market is uh, got excited about. Okay, let's look at the next one. Uh, another thing that's doing well is uh, vehicle sales. So again, uh, people didn't go out. So you saw the trucks, um, total trucks uh, uh, sales about 10, 10.7. Um, and then the, uh, the, the all uh, did that, sorry, the, I'm trying to read the graph. Yeah, it went from about 12 million down to just under eight and back up to 10. And if you look at the, uh, the blue line, you can see that there's quite a quite a snap back there. Now, this is quite very easily explained, actually, because um, the 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 car market and the housing market are in pretty good shape. The main reason is that the median age of a car buyer is 53, and the median age of a house buyer is 45. It doesn't mean they're buying their first house. It's just that the average age of of someone going out and buying a house is about 45 years old and it's even more for for cars you know younger people as we know don't have as many cars but uh, this is people who are probably not as affected by the labor market uh, implosion as as other cohorts again remember that it's the it's the lower paid and the youngers who got hit younger people who got hit hardest and heaviest and so they're not typically buyers of either car sales or uh, or the next one um, on on house buying. So this is a this is an industry which has been it's in relatively good shape, um, not as in good shape as I think the Tesla share price warrants. But but anyway, you can see that it's sort of you know it's coming back, which is which is a good sign. And then as to see, you'll see the same thing on the next one, which is uh, you know new home sales. Um, now again, there's lots of ways of looking at the housing market. There's existing sales. That's just someone's you know, selling their existing house to somebody else. Uh, that, that runs at about 5 million a year. Then there's new building construction, which is about 1.3 million a year. Um, some of that then is for rental, but some of it's sold as a new home. And this is what this is. And so you can see that that's been, uh, really looks like it's, apart from a, sh a quick break, uh, it's coming back pretty nicely um, to that 670,000 range. Again, that's, Partly because of the of the median age of a home buyer, and partly because of the next slide, which is um, you know the real mortgage rate. There it is on the right hand side. Um, it, you know it's 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 under three percent. So uh, an order thirty year mortgage is now about uh, when you would know, but and I know probably about maybe three and change. But inflation being pretty low, you can see that that's. That that's a pretty good bargain, and it's lower than it was, you know, two or three years ago. So with with rates being low in nominal terms and in real terms, plus the fact that that part of the market hasn't been affected, that's why we've got you know, pretty good numbers still on the home home building side. Okay, let's switch our attention to the uh, to the S and P. So 
would like to say that it, you know, the stock market looks like a hellish place from time to time where it can't seem to make its mind. You get 20% rushes and 20% corrections all over the place. But try to remind people that it dividends and earnings are much more stable. So this year, you can see that we're coming off um, a number of quarters where we were hitting about $150 of earnings uh, for the S&P. So the S&P today is about 3,000, earning about 150, puts it on a multiple of about 20 times. But um, you know, earnings uh, are going to be, on an annualized basis in the second quarter, probably about $138, that's the estimate there. But they'll probably come back quite quickly. Um, and that's what I think the market is seeing. They'll come back quickly because companies have stopped things, have, you know, have, have been able to reduce costs. They've got lower borrowing costs. They've stopped some things like share buybacks. Um, but, but you can see that, uh, you know, that, that there is not this big collapse in, uh, in earnings, which there was back in 08, 09, where, you know, earnings just fell off a cliff. I mean, it just, you know, ran about a quarter or a third of what they had been at their peak. This has been fairly modest. And then dividends, even with dividend, now dividends aren't, aren't a uh, huge, well, they're, they're important, but there's about 120 companies in the S&P that do not pay a dividend. You know, obviously things like uh, Amazon and Google, you know, and Facebook right up there at the top. But dividends have been pretty stable and we expect some to cut, um, but they're not going to, fall off a cliff. So it's really the, uh, it's, it's, it's not that the underlying fundamentals of companies have taken a huge hit. Uh, not yet, and we really don't expect them to, but this is, this is a, probably as bad as it's going to be, but, it, it, but it's, the, it's the price level which has been moving around a lot. So that's where, the, that's where we get the volatility. Um, and the next, next slide just kind of shows, okay, we're, constant question we get and it's you know i, I almost uh, i think about it on, on a daily basis is look we, here's the economy and we've just gone through parts of it some of it some parts look okay some look terrible so what's the what's with the s p you know rushing away well in a, i mean there are a number of reasons first of all is that the s p 500 and the u.s economy do not look like each other at all the uh, s p 500 companies maybe employed 12 million people out of 160, 155 million people. Um, it's very heavy in tech and healthcare, much bigger than th those two sectors are probably 45% of the index. Those two sectors are nowhere near 45% of the, of, of, of the US GDP, uh, nor, nor for employment. So it's, so it's just got a different set of uh, metrics. Um, and also, 50% of Americans are employed by companies employing less than 50 people. I don't think there's a single stock on the stock exchange which employs less than 50. There might be a few REITs, but really, but really that's about it. Um, so they're not really the same. And here's an example of it. We took the top five guys. So the Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, and Amazon. So their numbers one to five, as you know, three of them are over a trillion dollars. Um, and they're 23% of the index. And they're up uh, since January. Uh, up about 37%. And I think from the bottom, they're almost up, you know, 50%. And then you take the next uh, 95 companies and for the year, they're just, just, just above water, 1.6%. Take the S&P 500 as a totally, and it's down about two, two and a half percent. This is data from last week. It's around about flat right now. And then the small and mid caps, which are the bottom line and the white line above it, are still you know, way below their levels. If you want a reading of what stocks, are they reflecting the US economy, you don't go to the top five. You sometimes don't even go to the S&P 500. You have to go to the S&P 400 and the S&P 600, the small and mid caps. That's where the upturn in the US economy is gonna be most, uh, gonna, gonna have most upside. So, um, so, so I, you know, one of the questions we asked the front was, is the stock market uh, increase justified? Yeah, because a lot of these guys at the top, you know, they're dominant positions. You don't, everybody on this call, I think, knows that. They generate huge amounts of cash. They have 30, 40% pre-tax margins, have net cash on their balance sheet of, you know, I, I don't know, if you kind of add them all up together, it's probably, you know, well over half a trillion dollars. Um, and uh, they're continuing to show top line growth and pretty robust top line growth. So, you know, I think those are totally justified. Um, and I think the next level down where you're going is you've got much more industries competing and, you know, having, having a harder time. 
So yes, the stock market is is justified in, in increasing, but remember that you know, the stock market, especially as it's represented today, uh, is a little top heavy to say the least. Okay, next, next one. Very glad to see this happening. This is just this is the Euro stocks. So this is the big companies in uh, in Europe. Um, so it's everything from the Nestle's and L'Oreal's and SAP and AbbVie and Glaxo. Um, had a nice recovery, not as much as the US, but in, as we know, Europe has also got a, um, uh, a, a pretty aggressive bond buying um, program in place, which they're going to probably renew or reconfirm this Thursday. Um, and uh, they have been able to bend the curve down pretty effectively in most of the, in most of the uh, uh, countries. So, you know, activity and travel and things are beginning to sort of pick up uh, in Europe and it's showing up in the, in the, in the Euro stocks market as well as other indices. So, um, you know, they, we feel pretty good about this because it, this is kind of Europe. It's been less dramatic than the US stock market recovery, but I think it's uh, pretty firmly underpinned. Okay, um, next page, kind of try to put all this together. Um, so yeah, if we think the US large caps will remain robust, partly because of tech, partly because they're in such, you know, good businesses. And as, as you know, if you kind of go down the top 10 companies, you can, um, by market cap, you can, and you sort of have a checklist of, you know, are they in growth areas like cloud? Yes. Are they in places where there's going to be more online retailing? Yes. Not just Amazon, but, you know, Facebook, Visa, MasterCard, all these guys. Uh, are going to be huge beneficiaries. Are they in areas that are growing like AI? Yes, they are. Are they in, you know, things like, like fintech? You know, they just keep on checking the boxes of places where, you know, the, the, the economy is going to change and probably, you know, change uh, for, for, the, for the better um, as a result of the, of the, so of, of the lockdowns and, and COVID. So they're, they're in very good places and we think they're going to continue to stay there. Small and mid cap have some catching up to do. I would also mention that US banks are continuing to make pretty high provisions, which is why it's been such a lousy area to invest in over the last uh, three or four months. Um, and also we'd say that, you know, the stock market, it, it really hasn't moved since early June. We've seen, uh, you know, a, a pretty, certainly a very good revival from March, but, uh, you know, we hit, we were above today's levels on, on the 9th of June. So while we get a lot of, you know, the market's up, clap, 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 market's down, you know, frowny faces, actually the market's done very little for about four to six weeks, which is good because I think we need a period of consolidation. We need these sec second quarter earnings to come out. We need these companies to start being a little bit more uh, um, uh, definitive about what they see going ahead. And, you know, we need to see the economy start coming back again. So we've had this big uh, run up we're fine with that. We've had this six weeks of consolidation, despite what the headlines might be saying, which I think is also very, very healthy. But rates are going to remain low. And as well as rates are as low as they are, um, that's, you know, that, that's generally supportive for risk assets uh, and for equities. Um, the income replacement is hugely important because this is, you know, the uh, 21, 22 million people who've lost their jobs right now they're being supported by um, either PPP uh, plans where you know their their employers kept them on and used the PPP funds to keep them employed or they're on supplemental uh, benefit plans the $600 a month um, so there's actually been an almost clear wash between the size of the growth of the Fed's balance sheet and the size and growth of the uh, Treasury's uh, net debt position. So essentially the, the, uh, the Fed is buying the bonds, the bonds are being used to uh, pay these uh, next these rounds of benefits. It, it's all fine. It is not a kind of fiscal problem or anything else like that. But uh, it does mean that income replacement has been pretty well matched one for one. But this is going to end uh, at the end of July. We have the Senate coming back on the 23rd of July. So we've got a week to hammer something out. Um, we don't know. I mean, I, I think that uh, 
something will happen. I don't think it'll is be as generous as the current one, uh, and that will hurt generally because the number of people unemployed hasn't changed that much. Um, but I think something um, you know will will come out. I mean, I don't think anybody going into the election period wants to be you know, see. Um, these high levels of unemployment, 18%, the number I like you to remember today, not the 10% headline number, um, and, and people in increasingly dire straits without these supplemental programs. So we, we do need that uh, to keep things going. Um, Europe is doing well, I think, on this. It's, it's much slower, it's less glamorous, less headline news, but I think they're doing well on this. Um, and, uh, and then this month, later on, later on this month, we have to see how that income replacement program works. Um, but all, I would say on everything, the things depend on the reopenings. We're not going to get this snap back. We're going to get that kind of half-shaped V as long as we're in this type of position. Um, we, we need the, uh, the economy to be firing eventually on all, on all cylinders. That's going to take you know, many, many months. And I really don't see much you know, uh, turning around and getting back to January levels much before we love 2021. And that's pretty optimistic. And you know, obviously, it's very difficult to see that far out. Um, in all this world, I haven't really mentioned about foreign stocks, but we are seeing a weaker dollar. Why? <clears throat> well, there's less trade going on for a start. And a lot of, do lot of uh, commerce is denominated in dollars. That creates a sort of an ongoing support for dollars. You know, oil price, for example, being a, a main one, um, you know, the demand for that is, is less. And you know, if, if the longer the Fed commits to being at zero bound, then there's really no benefit uh, you know, for an investor to be in Japanese yen or or the euro or the dollar because they're all yielding pretty much the same, uh, close to zero. So I think the you know weaker dollar will begin. It won't be very much. It won't be dramatic, but it's enough to help the foreign stock environment. So that's where we are, and uh, kind of glad to see some of the uh, foreign foreign stocks uh, pick up recently. I see we have a number of questions, so I think I can open those up. <clears throat> um, I'm reading these real time. With the opening and now closing because of virus count going up again, news reports of small businesses closing for good seems bleak. How will this affect both the labor market as well as the economy in general? Um, yeah, I, I think there, well, I think the businesses which are going to close are going to be obviously ones, you know, retailing, hospitality, leisure, all these are going to take a big hit. I mean, combined, they're, they're not a big part of the economy, about four and a half percent. But I think any time these, if that starts to spread to other kind of support businesses, then that's just not going to be good. And I think the, the you know, the, the, and that will definitely, you know, hurt, continue to hurt the labor markets. That's why I think part of this second wave program, I think, is going to have a continuation for support for small businesses to try and keep them going until some of this demand comes back. But I... You know, I, you know, we, we live in an area where uh, we see a lot of you know, restaurants that are going to close and shops that are going to close and so on. So um, I, I think that 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 will happen you know, on a global macro side. It's it's important, but not devastating. Um, but I think we've got to keep an eye on that. In other words, if the schools don't reopen, but could you have online classes, the labor market will be affected. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if, uh, you know, higher ed, you know, if, if um, I mean, I noticed the universities have reverse managed to reverse some of this issue about the foreign um, ownership, uh, foreign uh, students. But you probably know that foreign students represent a very serious cash cow to some of these big universities. So if they're not able to attend, this was the case up until yesterday, because they're going to be online, um, that that would be a huge loss of uh, of income support. Um, and then, you know, just simply if someone is doing classes from home, that means that they're not, you know, staying in local accommodation, they're not buying things. And I think that will continue to affect the, the labor market around the educational side. Um, and finally, we've got a question. If markets are expected to go sideways from here, what are some unexpected factors that cause investors to go risk off? I, I think the major one here is that... Um, we get a you know, a very sort of prevalent resurgence uh, and outbreak. Um, I mean, let's just say that something like the San Quentin, which is almost the, certainly the national super spreader right now, three miles from where I'm sitting, if that somehow got got loose, that would be uh, that that would I think cause um, you know, some some serious uh, risk off strategies. 
Um, I think another one that we got of, we don't have to go into the details of it, but the ups and downs of the election will, will certainly kind of, I, I would expect to take its toll. Uh, there'll be days when, you know, one, one side is, you know, more uh, in advance of another and the markets will kind of take that both ways and either way, depending on how they're feeling. But um, this is probably the sort of the, got the highest, um, you know, this election's probably got the biggest sort of game-changing scenario behind it, maybe in 81 with, 80 with Thatcher, Reagan, where you had essentially a huge change of um, ideas about how the economy should run. But this one's a pretty high-stakes election. And so I think if there's a, if there's, um, if there's a market correction, I think one of the likely culprits is going to be around the political side. Uh, one more question. If say earnings will be helped when share buybacks are cut back, how do share buybacks help the E on P as they don't? All else equal, there'll be more shares outstanding and share buybacks don't impact the income statement. That's absolutely true. So um, yeah, the, the, the share buybacks don't help. Well, they do, they, they do help the earnings because the, the less, they don't show up the income statement, but they show up on the earnings per share just because the number of shares is shrunk. So, you know, you have the same amount of earnings, 100, instead of 100 shares in circulation, you have 90. So, you know, the earnings go up. Um, I think the reason I, I mentioned that where I said, you say earnings will be helped when share buybacks are cut back, it's because those companies are sort of husbanding their cash resources. So they're taking a more prudent view on how to spend their cash. And I think that's, I think people got rather fed up with the whole share buyback thing because they knew what people, they knew what companies were doing, sort of, you know, buying it to make the E on the PE side go up and really not changing the underlying, the underlying nature of the business. And people have begun to, to uh, spot that, uh, you know, if, uh, over a year ago and, and companies with big share buybacks like IBM, which didn't go anywhere for years, although it spent its entire market cap on share buybacks almost. Um, people are beginning to sort of get a bit suspect of those. But I, so I think right now, um, yeah, it doesn't affect the income statement, um, but uh, it means that they're, they're keeping some cash. And I think, you know, I think investors would rather see companies, uh, you know, keep their cash, husband their cash, do it, you know, manage it and not be, you know, always on the short side because of share buyback. That was the thinking behind that. <clears throat> And then can you speak to munis? Will the feds need to continue to prop them up to avoid defaults? Um, I think munis are slightly different from the rest of the corporate world because they tend to be more of a retail product. Pension funds don't really use them. They don't need the, when we're talking about tax-free munis, the taxable muni market's a bit of a uh, different animal. Um, pension funds don't use them. Insurance companies don't use them. I think property casualty companies do, but life insurance companies really don't. They can't. They don't get the. Uh, they don't get the. Uh, the tax pull through. So it, it does mean that it's it, it's primarily a private investor market. So what your worry is is that you've got a big run on muni funds and uh, they're at fire sale prices. A lot of munis are not particularly liquid. So the Fed is stepping in there to buy them, um, and uh, you know that's good. It means that the kind of the secondary market doesn't implode. Um, and that's why I think we've seen a pretty good run on, on munis. Will there be defaults? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, the large part of the muni market is, you know, California, Texas, uh, Illinois, uh, Pennsylvania, um, New York. It, it, they, I think they're going to be able to keep their muni bonds uh, going. And also, there's just such a there's such a range of municipal bonds. I mean, we, this all my comments are really on the general obligation bonds, which means that you know tax comes in and they're used to pay the interest on municipals. But there are so many which are linked to uh, you know schools and tolls and and uh, and and utility specific type ones where you know they still got sort of cash coming in. I mean, sure, if you know if California goes bankrupt, then that would certainly lead to a big you know, blood in, in spreads, but I, but I don't think that's going to happen. And meanwhile, the Fed, you know, for the first time ever is, is available to, uh, to buy them. So I think, uh, and will buy them. So I don't, I don't think we're going to see, you know, any kind of, you know, meltdown in the muni market, um, which is good. This is, uh, we don't want to be doing, seeing that. 
Well, thank you very much. Oh, how are you feeling about the stock sales we made in February and March? <laughs> uh, stock sales we made in February? Um, yeah, I'm trying to understand the question. Um, we, um, yeah, can I kind of get back to you on that one? I, I, I'm trying to think what it is. I think we just... Uh, we might have trimmed some positions for some clients in stock sales uh, in 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 February would have been great. It depends if when in March we did it. Um, but so if, if anyone could email me directly, I'd be happy to answer at seathwaites at bnjadvisors.com or, um, or just call uh, call whoever your contact is at the firm. Um, okay, thanks so much, uh, everybody. And um, look, I know it went a bit long, but uh, thank you for sort of sticking with us. And uh, you know, please let us know how we can improve this. And um, and we look forward to doing it next time. Okay, I am now going to read the disclosures. And um, uh, here we go. Here come the disclosures. Disclosures are coming now. So here we go. <clears throat> Discussions of the investment, investment strategy, research, investment process of Brian Janikowski are of the date indicated or of the day this presentation is subject to change without notice. Chance illustrated that this presentation may be updated periodically. We have no obligation to provide revised assessments in the event of changed circumstances. We cannot assure that type events mentioned in this presentation will produce the intended results or outperform any other investments in the future. We reserve the right to change our investment perspective and outlook without notice as market conditions dictate as additional information becomes available. Diversification does not protect. An investor from market risk does not ensure profit. Information is subject to unintentional errors, submissions change without notice. While we gather this information from sources we believe reliable, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any strength or numerical data in the presentation. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The security noted in this presentation are only several of successful and unsuccessful investments by Brian Janikowski. Do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Index returns are reinvested dividends and interest do not reflect commissions or transaction costs. Mutual fund returns include reinvested dividends, capital gains, distributions, mutual fund returns on net operating expenses, not that we actually talked about mutual funds during this presentation. However, they do not reflect Brian Janikowski's fees. Please read the prospectus carefully before investing or sending money. Past performance, no guarantee of future for results. We didn't talk about performance. We may re reference various hypothetical investment illustrations. These are for illustration purposes only and or not investment renovations. Do not, do not guarantee any indication of future results. Thank you. <laughs>